For June 10th, 2019, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 571. Eight Guys Walking Across France. Overthinking it, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are are like a band of brothers, are like a uh, a squadron of elite, hand picked overthinkers uh, trudging across the terrain of the culture together. And it is an honor to serve alongside these these gentlemen no i can't i can't i'm sorry it's, it's i can't even i can't even land this bit hey everybody it's uh it's matt rather and i'm here with peter fenzel hey pete hey matt and mark lee how you doing mark Reporting for duty, sir. Well, uh, hey, so we still uh, doing the bit. We're still doing the bit, right? Uh, yeah, We're not not doing the bit. Okay. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a captain. Two bars, baby. Um, the so look, the here's what uh, here's what led to this podcast. Here's here's the series of events that that led to this um, situation. It starts uh, with the Shi'ar Empire. Yeah, <laughs> Archduke Franz Ferdinand <laughs> assassinated. The Archduke of the Shi'ar Empire. Was taking control of, of uh, Professor X's mind. Sorry, no. Continue. Guys, let's talk about let's talk about appeasement as an international relations <laughs> strategy. No, look, we we didn't want to back a particular horse in the blockbuster stakes this weekend, and it turned out to be good because apparently none, no one, no one went to see Dark Phoenix. Um, we're we're very sorry for Sansa Stark and her movie career, but um, because you know uh, we we are here, uh, Yas Queen Sansa. Um, um, the Queen in the North, but uh, we were not super interested in seeing her, um, you know, in in this latest X Men franchise, uh, and and we thought also, you know, w- we were standing looking, staring down the barrel of the summer movie season, and we thought, hey, you know, um, let's only do the ones that we're really excited about this summer right like let's let's keep our our love of film intact and rather than a kind of joyless trudge uh, across part of france you know let's uh as though because i think in many ways doing a podcast uh requires a level of bravery not unlike that of a soldier in a war mm. Definitely. In the sense that you sit around for long periods of time, and <laughs> completely terrified. <laughs> but there's a lot of hurry up and wait. Um, no, but uh, we we thought like you know what? Let's only do the movies uh, that we're interested in. Hobbs and Shaw, check. <laughs> Dark Phoenix, eh? We can sit it out. And 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 you know what? Let's take those weeks. And watch uh, something that we haven't gotten to or a classic or, you know, revisit something that we want to talk about again. Let's let's find stuff that, that we really enjoy because we uh, we are never happier than when we are talking over together the stuff that we actually enjoy together. So uh, we, we also realized that the anniversary of D-Day was just a couple days ago, uh, the landing at Normandy, and um, that uh, it actually might be 
interesting to talk about Steven Spielberg's 1998 film, uh, Saving Private Ryan. And that's, uh, you know, that's what we did. And like, let's, uh, let's, let's, like, um, this was actually the first warm weekend, uh, in Los Angeles of this whole, like, late spring, early summer kind of season. And so, like, everyone in West LA, let's hit the beach. No, <laughs> there's, no way, there's no way not to cheapen. Yeah, it Matthew, just by... let's hit the beach. I'm not Tacos. sure what's more offensive: what you just said or the movie X Men Dark Phoenix. <laughs> um, the well, I'm I'm glad that you don't know. So let's uh, let's let's start with the start of this film, which is uh, one of the more famous openings of a movie. Um, you know, of its time or any time, uh, a 27 minute, uh, recreation of the, of the landing, um, at, I guess they're at Omaha beach. Right. And that, uh, that, that it's, it's notably realistic, notably gory, uh, notably disorienting. Um, Mark, you, you had said when we had had, um, slated this movie for the topic of this podcast you had said that you were gonna uh maybe skip the opening because you know how it ends (laughs) and uh and it's very challenging to watch i too find it challenging to watch really violent or or gory stuff however beautifully wrought the the filmmaking is did you end up watching uh this sequence of the film yes i had really had every intention of like fast forwarding through it because it is it is it is brutal. Yeah. It is uh, some raw meat there, man. Um, and yet, um, I watched all thirty minutes of it on my phone, by the way, which is definitely how Steven Spielberg intended me to consume his very finely crafted media project. Um, okay, so it's not uh, even the right aspect ratio, Mark. Oh man, oh, I'm sorry. Um, might as well just not have watched it. A while. I, might, I might as well not know anything at all about World War II and just repeat those mistakes, huh? Um, we'll talk about the historical lessons and, and kind of like you know the legacy, and, and I'm sure later. But um, okay, so this yes, the movie is, is uh, this sequence of the movies is famously brutal, unflinching in its like realistic, quote unquote, realistic portrayal of uh, of the D-Day invasion, and you know it's it's. it's pretty widely recognized as like okay the project the reason was it's justified because spielberg wanted to make a um unsparing uncompromising view of war he didn't want to gloss anything over he didn't want to give it any of the heroism that kind of like you know a lot of the visceral satisfaction that you often get from well just from straight up action movies standard fare um he wanted to make this tough and like really emphasize the the sacrifice of uh, of the men and also the it was like, like, a, it was like a, a gritty reboot of yeah 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 a gritty reboot of war movies and and the straight up war crimes committed by americans too right you know like these uh, nazi soldiers that are trying to surrender they just get blown away with a ha 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 um, and later on with like, um, you know, crushing, uh, crushing sadness. Um, so does it succeed in that regard? Yes. But it also is kind of amazing to watch as well. I mean, that's why I stuck with it for the 30 minutes when I thought I was going to skip through it. It looks and feels incredible and exhilarating. And, and I'm thinking of one scene in particular. Um, and it's like coming at the apotheosis of, you know, them storming the beach and evading all the gunfire and surviving and finally reaching the top of the uh, of the Nazi uh, fortifications. And they 
uh, unleash the flamethrower, right? And then this massive fireball comes out, and then the Germans come uh, screaming, falling out of it. And then uh, one of the soldiers, you know, screams, "Don't shoot! Let him burn!" Again, the whole cruelty thing there. And as I saw that in my mind, um, what equal parts? Uh, we're thinking this is awesome and also this is terrible. So here I am, gentlemen. <laughs> That's kind of my like four word, uh, six word review of the same fight, Ryan. This is awesome. This is terrible. <laughs> well, sure. Uh, I mean, I guess di- awesome and terrible applied to different different things, right? Like this is awesome filmmaking, right? Yeah, this, is, that, this sure. is terrible man's inhumanity to man. This also, this is awesome. Blown away Nazis like that. Let's be honest, right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. So, it's it's certainly not better to let them knife rape all the Jews, but <laughs> we can get into all that later, right? Um, so is that not something to laugh at? The later <laughs> scenes in the movie where we see the severity, uh, cruelty of the Germans right back, which is, of course, like softened up in the beginning of the movie. Anyway, anyway before to add to what Mark is saying, uh, one dimension I think that we want to add to it is that Spielberg is kind of creating an echo to Schindler's List here, right, where he's making a movie that's about the living memory of people who are pretty old and about capturing the things that they've seen. Well, in the case of Schindler's List, it's like the things that mattered to them and helped them survive the Holocaust and and the things that they are kind of honoring when they're putting stones on the grave of Oscar Schindler. The movie has this kind of framing device where you watch the events that are being depicted as a historical drama, and then and it has a whole lot of really painstaking recreation of the Holocaust. And then, you know, you jump to Israel where they're commemorating his grave, and you see the actual people who he saved. And this is a, a uh, framing device that he uses on both sides of Saving Private Ryan, uh, although with a with a fictional person, with old Matt Damon. Man, that makeup looks great. He really does look like an old guy. Uh, although they're, they're supposed to lead you. It's a bit of a bait and switch, right? Because at the beginning, you're supposed to be led that it's old Tom Hanks. Yeah. And then it turns out that it's old Matt Damon. Wait, and more wait, about wait, that is, yeah. Yeah, structure, interesting structural thing. But yeah, going on. Right. But, but the main thing is that... Uh, that one of the thing, the, one of the reasons that people make war movies is because wars have narratives where things happen and they have kind of climaxes, they have battles, right? And so the structure of war in that sense, and not in the sort of more you know other sorts of ways of conceiving of it, is kind of involved with politics or kind of extended sorts of campaigns. But when you jump from kind of major event to major event and you narrativize a war, that that is you're sort of making a story that you could then portray. And so in a lot of war movies, you bounce from you know major event that the audience might know about to major event that the audience might know about, and you see how individual people interact with the grand events. And that's supposed to imbue these individual people with a certain specialness and the actions with an extra significance because they unite the individual perspective with the broader historical perspective. And I think one of the big things that Saving Private Ryan is doing from the get-go at the Normandy Beach landing is really driving home that this that the the distance that you're that you're bridging by doing that is enormous and probably introversible. Right. This is we know that what happens in the Normandy Beach Landing and for those who might be from outside the United States or not familiar, this is a situation where, uh, you know, troops from the allies, right, are landing in France to create a beachhead that will create a second front against the Germans in World War II. Right. The Germans who are now kind of throwing men into the meat grinder of the Eastern Front uh, see also the fine movie Enemy at the Gates for how that's going. Uh, later on in the, in the time period. 
But um, but that that it, it is an important turning point in the strategic situation in World War Two. And it's a point that Americans see with a lot of pride. I know my grandfather was there. Uh, and it's and it's it's interesting because I really identified with the initial moment because my grandfather was there. So you would think that that would be something that he would talk about. But he never, ever, ever talked about it. Right. Because it was horrible. Uh, and uh, I mean, I say that with a sort of glibness, but it's utterly sincere. Like I got him a D-Day computer game once for his birthday because I saw oh, it oh, in the oh. store. Yeah, I was like 13, 12 years old right. or and whatever. And no, I got him this no concept. Game. But it's yeah. But right now you can kind of see. Oh, it, they hid it from it. It was it was really upsetting, right? Yeah. Um, and oh. it's sort of but, like but he, what but he played Wolfenstein and loved that, right? <laughs> well, he was a big fan of Bionic Commando, huh. so he, he <laughs> shot Robot Hitler at the end. No, um, and so, but I mean, his big story is more in Italy and Sicily and stuff. So I don't want to get I don't want to get it all wrong and or go into that. But the point is that that the the Normandy landing is isolated from all but the most basic understanding of the significance of what's happening. Like there, if you were to watch, you know, The Longest Day, a different movie about D-Day, there's all these different things that are happening that all these different people are all involved in. It's like Duel of the Fates, right? You've got like the gliders that are going to take out the bridge. You've got the Gungans who are fighting the battle droids. You know, you've got Darth Maul and and he's teamed up with Hitler and they're fighting Qui-Gon Jinn and General Patton and, and everything is all happening all these different places. And you see these little snaps of people in different spots as they kind of contribute to the major events. Saving Private Ryan strips all of that away and puts you at any given point in one place. And the strategic or tactical significance of that one place uh, is often not particularly, you know, you know it a little bit, right? And, and with D-Day, it's like with the actual beach, you know the beach, you know the beach is significant, but it's only one thing. And the individual people have such a small relationship to what's going on. And you also don't particularly get the sense that their particular triumph on the beach is everybody's triumph at the beach, right? It's like, what what is these eyes seen? It's like, well, they saw this horrible chaos, they saw all this horrible death, and they experienced this, like, triumph, but the scope of the triumph that they experienced was not giant arrows on a map, right? It was, you know, maybe they got up the hill, maybe they didn't, right? Uh, that kind I mean, of... One, one of the triumphs, right, is, like, um, Vin Diesel um saying hey i gotta check out this hitler youth knife that i got basically this cool souvenir of war yeah um which is uh, perverse in and of itself and then he hands it to what um one of the jewish soldiers who then like breaks down and cries yeah because yeah, it's yeah. like oh oh my god the holocaust yeah. and that's and like the, yeah. that's the that's the catharsis and triumph you have yeah. and i think my favorite moment maybe my favorite moment in the movie on the rewatch even though it's a little bit nothing at the time is when tom hanks is relaying what's going on on the beach to one of the ryan brothers who's the guy who's the communications guy on the telephone who's telling what's going on back to to command right and uh and he's telling him what happened on the beach and eventually the guy gets shot right and and so this happens in a very heavily symbolic way because his face is obliterated right and there's this sense that like Mm -hmm. from here on out anything that happened on that beach the ability for only the only way that anybody is going to hear about it is if anybody from here survives and lives to tell people what happened, uh, which, of course, they're not going to want to do because it is going to have been very upsetting. Right. But it's like the, the face is gone at the same time that the communication is cut off at the same time that the person dies. And there's the sense that the story died with him and that that you can't you might think that you could get the sort of like embedded reporter on the beach who would really tell you what it was really like and, and of course due to technology at the time and and the reality of what this war was like relative to the other wars but maybe just generally it, it, there's a commentary here a bit about like you really can't 
right? Like, you, you can't really understand what's going on. Uh, you know, isn't the paradox though that like um, the way that it's shot, very like a lot of first person, a lot of shaky camera, is trying to make you get, try, trying to give you a sense of what it's like. Yeah, like, how do yeah. We, how right? do we square? How do we reconcile that? Oh, that man. paradox. Yeah, yeah. It, that's really. I think that's the key question of the movie, right? Is well, the other key question is like, can you really earn the death of other people that that was that was undertaken without your consent, right? Without you having done anything for it, right? Is that even a possibility to earn that, right? This thing you had nothing to do with. But yeah, this idea that it's a heavily subjective movie that's very invested in individual characters and their lives and what they see, but at the same time, their relationship with the war is really difficult because they don't comprehend what's happening or or rather the the aggregate thing that is happening is not the aggregation of all their individual experiences it is some other thing that has a sort of life of its own and they might tick and scream and not want it to be happening but they don't have any control over that they only have their own situation and and so i mean i think what we're supposed to take away from it in in one sense is that the, the our grandparents right who are at this point, you know, this is this is the 90s. So they were a bit younger. You know, my grandfather lived to 100 and he passed a couple years ago. Um, so the number of people who are like this are, are, are far fewer than they were. But like they are the ones who saw these stories. And actually, if you really want to take the sort of Blakeian reading, right, if you want to take the reading that is like uh, not the reading that was intended, you could suggest that if the only person who survives to tell the story to everybody in this is private Ryan himself. He wasn't there, right? Like he didn't see any of these people when they were doing this. He might've only heard about it because he talked to them when they came to get him. So there's the sense that this is a fiction. Even if you get the, Hmm. even if you're like, that's, that's the sort of, I think that's the sort of, um, and if you want to sort of foil the, the intent of the author, that's, I think the problematized way of reading it, which is that you're being tricked by leading you to think that this is the firsthand account of Tom Hanks's character. And he is preserving all the memories of all the people that he ran into, because there's no way that after they got killed, that their information or knowledge could get through because that's not how the history books are written, who they really were, what they really felt in that moment but he knows because he had that intimate relationship with them no he dies too and and so all that stuff that we see through his eyes it's either movie magic right in the sense of it's just like parallel editing and he's a character in the movie and we see it from his perspective but in the sense of the framing device how much of what all this is going on is private ryan actually privy to right like is it really about how even our idea of and the movie that more more latches onto this way of interpretation is like inglorious bastards right where it's like the individual caricatures of the people in movies like this are played out in ways that are entirely unreal up until the point where they machine gun hitler right like personally right like and it's it's like uh the idea that this is supposed to be real is undermined from the get-go but you don't know it yet the whole point of machine gunning is that it's impersonal. So I think you have to say that they machine gun Hitler impersonally. Is that is that a grammatical necessity or impersonally? They personally machine gun Hitler's person. I mean, I guess the point is that like the upshot is that I found that D Day fight. Well, first of all, I watch a whole lot of very very violent things, and so entertainments, and so it's not. It was shocking. Because people are like, oh, remember how shocking it was? I was like, it can't be that bad. I've watched all sorts of nonsense. And then I watched it. I was like, oh, no, it's really bad. <laughs> uh, but uh, 
But um, but it's, it wasn't like that wasn't the dominating thing for me. The dominating thing was the way in which it went beat to beat to beat and added each thing that happened. It contributed character significance to it. Uh, you you got to know people in like a split second before they were murdered. Right. Um, and, and the way that Tom Hanks behaves as he comes up the beach really firmly establishes his character and his sort of significance, mm-hmm. even to the point where you don't question it later in the movie when you probably should. Like the, if you if you do think that the movie is playing tricks on you, one of the tricks it plays on you is it shows you Tom Hanks bravely leading people up the beach in Normandy and then presents him in a bunch of situations where his authority is like highly suspect in one way or another. And the music Right. And the sort of uh, conventional narrative of the situation leads you to think that he's the right man in the right place, making the right decision. But he doesn't know that. Right. And you you only believe that because you saw him storm the beach at Normandy. He's a school teacher. Right. Uh, also because he's Tom freaking Hanks in a season. Well, yeah, there the you go. Person, right. The That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. I don't know, Matt, what did you think of the, of the Normandy invasion, the, the beachhead scene? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I thought that like, I don't know, like we've seen Dunkirk now. I feel like maybe this was the first one, but I feel like there is a cottage industry in this kind of, um, verisimilitude, you know? And, uh... You know, to the point where there, there's kind of there, there even has at times been a, a kind of arms race. Into, I mean, you know, poor choice of words, I guess, but a, but a kind of competition in terms of how unsparing, you know, how brutal, how gory, how violent, you know, something something can be. Like how much, you know, uh, exposed bowel, can, you know, can you show in in someone who's been and wounded gravely. It's notably parodied in one of my favorite um, war movies, such as it was Tropic Thunder. Yeah. Right. And that's a, that's, let's just put a pin in that. We should do a podcast on Tropic Thunder because that movie is amazing. Oh, wow. Um, sorry, I, Matt. Continue. Another time when we don't have a when we don't have a film that we like. And I so so now I feel like I have to admit something, which is that I had not seen Saving Private Ryan before this. I didn't see it when it came out. It's just like you know violent stuff scary stuff not really my cup of tea though i i guess i liked john wick a lot so but john wick is is john wick is this sort of john woo style balletic hyper stylized you know violence as as pure aesthetic experience uh whereas this does a couple things to you know to sort of make you feel um to to sort of make you feel something like the subjective experience of the people who are going through it like i you know it's it was a big this this whole movie was a big couch jumper uh for me cuz i had to jump off the couch with with a lot of agitation and it was a big pauser for me because like i had to you know pause it and hyperventilate for for a little while it's definitely a film that like got my got my anxiety um going a little bit i'm i'm really interesting I'm really interested in in what Pete said about the kind of what what's happening, the kind of grand sweep of history being um, being something that is 
you know, uh, not equaled by that is actually distinct from some sort of aggregate of the experience. Like, a, like imagine as a thought experiment, imagine you could get everyone together in a, a in a sort of living history kind of museum thing where you like record everyone's individual narrative and suppose they all had perfect recall of what their subjective experience was. Uh, though we know that that's not how the mind works with trauma, right? Like a lot of that, a lot of that for people just got erased, you know, um, that a lot of it, when people go through stuff that's, that's profoundly traumatic, just gets blacked out as a, a, a way of surviving and actually stick that, stick that question, stick, stick a pin in that question. But like, um, Sorry, I'm kind of lost in I'm, I'm lost in my own my own digressions here. But the the uh, suppose you could add aggregate all of these things together in some sort of like Google scale, you know, set of. Uh, set of uh, data warehouses, right? And suppose you could have a, a hitherto uninvented machine learning algorithm that could parse and correlate and somehow come to terms with understanding uh, what, ha- you know, what happened to everyone and like, individually and kind of add that up into the, the sum total of all the subjective experience. Um, what was going on is still more is something else than that and i'm i you know uh the at at the highest level you know at the kind of the sweep of history level or at the kind of the the progress the or the the prosecution of the war right like what's happening goes beyond um just what what uh the the individual people experienced and that that's um there there are a few things in life right where you participate subjectively in something um that has that that has that quality or maybe we all do all the time and we just don't actually know uh we we just never will gain the perspective of what the kind of sweep of history level significance of the you know of the things we're doing uh, are as we suck the jamba juice out of the polystyrene tub um we don't know <laughs> what it's going <laughs> to was that a metaphor about time? Yeah, I, mean, I don't even. I don't Is that even like an know. elaborate? What, are you explaining quantum physics in like a groundbreaking new way? So think of space as a polystyrene tub, and, uh, and think of time as a jamba juice that fills the polystyrene tub, right? Like, and uh, it has the shape of the tub. And it, but it also has its own consistency, which is distinct from the consistency of the tub. I just and like, your experience is a straw. <laughs> Sorry. I just like what I, I, I feel like I, I don't have that many strengths as a writer, but one of them is I can sometimes crystallize a, a whole thing with a, with a particularly well observed detail. I've, you know, um, and and there's there's mine for modern life. That's my, uh, that's my, um, gloss on all modern life in the developed world. Um, anyway, the, the, yeah, the, so, the, so the experience of the, of the first thing, like I was kind of, I was kind of braced for it and yeah, a lot of, lot of adrenaline, a lot of cortisol, a lot of, you know, stress hormones, uh, coursing through the, coursing through the bloodstream. Um, d- 
and and actually no no music in that like i i appreciated certain things certain things about it and do you, i mean i feel like as as a big movie wimp kind of faced with something you know faced with something that records such a or or at least represents such a, a historically important um occurrence i sort of i did give myself the like hey quit being a wimp like these people actually lived this like you can watch a highly artfully recreated version starring an academy award-winning movie star like you can sit through 27 minutes of of uh of a movie but i think like one of the one of the things it does well i'm i i was uh, sorry i want to go in i want to go in a lot of directions one of the great uh, things you know terrible sensations, but real things that that um, the first sequence did for me was give me a sense of claustrophobia an almost unbearable sense of claustrophobia, people being dragged down by their armaments and and you know uh, in into the water uh, of the ocean or you know, being like pinned down, hemmed in, uh, pressed up against against people you know um caught or trapped like these these are uh for whatever reason um in as as i get older claustrophobia becomes more and more of a of a thing for me of an anxiety producing thing and like this definitely um cre- created a sense of that like it it uh this is a film that created that that the watching of it the experience of watching it created physical sensations in my body like beyond just kind of regarding the you know regarding the artifact that the that the film was um it sort of made something happen for me that i was very um uh, you know that was that was d- done uh that 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 really occurred so it kind of created rather than just kind of watching it it kind of created an experience a subjective experience in me um and uh like you know all the handheld an interesting question maybe for later when when they go handheld and when they go uh when the camera is on a tripod you know giving a still uh, very often beautiful picture of something disorderly and chaotic uh, versus when the disorder and the chaos actually extends into the film um, the the filmmaking itself by kind of shaking the camera you know as the as the cameraman walks around kind of around the action um, but a- anyway I feel like I've I've uh, gone down five or six avenues there uh, what 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 should we pick up as as we trudge <laughs> as we trudge across the thing oh that was the, that was the other thing I thought that was a really good as we transition off the beach and into the more the rest of the movie um the the other thing that i thought was pretty good was the sense that like it's just like eight guys or something walking (laughs) walking across france you know like they're just they're just Going, I'm sure someone on Wikipedia could 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 figure out has told me uh, how how long actually the journey depicted in in the film is, but but you know how that uh, let's start let's start there. Isn't that amazing? Just you know, with very little, with the 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 gear that they're carrying on their back. Like eight guys walk across walk across France, you know, 
Like I can't get in the car to drive to work without checking five or six times whether I have, uh, you know, my my uh, my AirPods or something. And when I leave them, my goodness, it's a disaster when I have to listen to podcasts over the the, you, the aux jack in the car. But the um, but these guys walked across France. These these uh, imaginary fictional people uh, i mean in all seriousness they i'm sure they had a checklist before they set up their walk <laughs> and 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 at least one of those guys probably forgot something important as important if not more important than uh, your airpods matt yeah uh, well i mean d- d- let's not go crazy and say more important but so i mean like uh, uh, should, yeah, yeah. Uh, should we talk about the journey should we talk about like the interim engagements that they have with the germans along yeah. the way to the big battle at the end yeah uh where should we go? I mean, I will admit that, like, you know, I watched the first uh, beach sequence and uh, and had enough. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, one, one it's been thing, a while since I've seen the rest of it. One thing that Pete said that that I think is is pretty interesting is like when you see Tom Hanks, you, you see him in a lot of situations where his authority is being challenged or where his authority seems suspect, you know, and the, the uh, high watermark of this is the um, – taking out the machine gun position uh at you know the loss of life of 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 Giovanni Ribisi um but which by the way is underscored with music whereas whereas the whole um uh, the whole D-Day landing is not underscored with music, which I which I thought was which I thought was good. Um, so so I think this this can actually get us into something that I think is is at the core of the movie, which is the kind of the relationship between the movie and and sentimentality, right? And the movie and um, kind of gl- w- whether it kind of glorifies whether there's kind of a, a sepia toned greatest generation glow um uh around this film and around like what they're uh what they're kind of saying about about these people and about this war you know uh the the difference between the the no underscoring when um uh, when all kinds of people die on the beach and the underscoring when Giovanni Ribisi dies. But then, you know, but then like uh, someone's about to desert and Tom Hanks calls him back with a story of like his life at home, you know. And it it struck me that that this whole thing of eight guys walking across France is held together with stories and fictions, right? Like one of those being that you have to listen to Tom Hanks, you know, that cause they're, they're just eight guys walking across France. They're not, you know, in, in a larger, they're not in, in a larger context of, of a much larger military organization where there's a, uh, a lot of stuff. There's, there's a whole apparatus of, of, um, you know, people and, and stuff and, and, uh, uh, they don't have that big map where the generals push the little, um, uh, units across. Oh yeah. I I mean, I was even just thinking like in a lot of the places where you see a lot of soldiers together, there's, there's a level of organization and logistics that sort of seems to encourage you to play your part, right? When you're eight guys walking across France, you have to have internalized that whole superstructure, 
in order to play your part, uh, especially when you're especially when you're risking your life. And that's like um, and that like what it struck me that the theme of the movie, like the whole thing of like, how do you earn it? How do you earn the the death of your comrades or not even your comrades? These these eight random strangers who sort of uh, who who came and saved you from certain death. Um, the the you know because I think we're supposed to think that the defense of that bridge would not have gone as well if Tom Hanks wasn't there. Um, how how do you do it? Like how how do you go on after that? And and a big question to me in this movie was how how do you go on? You know uh, there were a lot of a lot of points at which it's like how in in a lot of spaces in a, in a lot of uh levels of of kind of literal and and metaphoric registers how do you go on and the the one at the end you know is when old matt damon says to his wife tell me i'm a good man you know uh that's what it takes you know and and um, and it's, it's stories and fictions, it's stories and fictions all the way down, you know, because you'll never, you, you'll never have the aggregate of all the people, uh, of all the people's experience and you'll never be able to do justice to that. We can't, you know, watching a, a Steven Spielberg movie, we can't, we sort of can't do justice to that. Uh, even if it's unsentimental, you know, but what do you. So, so how do, but how do you how do you kind of continue with your life knowing that there's really no logical basis for doing so? Well, I, okay, so I mean that's a really big question, right? But and it's a question that a lot of people have to confront whether they are uh, in a war or not. Um, but let's, I think let's 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 break it down a little bit. So. Because there's a lot of things in this movie that to, that to the people in the movie don't make sense, right? So the first question is, you know, why why do they have to go get Private Ryan, right? You know, like, what's the reason? Because there is, and it seems like to them there's no good reason. And the main reason is they have to go in order to get the because of orders, right? So, so the reason they have to get Private Ryan is because uh, it's important to the general political health of the war effort that entire families, entire large families not be wiped out by the draft, because if that happens, then people will stop going into the service, right? Like they don't want to create resistance to the draft and they don't want to create bad press because there's an instance where all these sons, they all died on a boat or whatever, and the different boats and they all they all killed in different places. Right. And all of a sudden, this is like a big PR disaster because it's like your whole family is going to get exterminated in this war. And especially if you're talking about the reliance of the American economy general on immigrants. Right. That there's a lot of voluntary participation. Again, to make a sort of slight comparison across the board to end me at the gates, the part, perhaps the sister movie, the real sister movie to uh, Saving Private Ryan on one level is The Longest Day. But the other line is The Thin Red Line. But in the third way, it's like enemy at the gates. Right. It's like. Where this is an army that does largely depend on people going willingly, right? They're not they are not people with machine guns behind you who will shoot you if you turn around, right? Like there there is uh, this is not that's not the situation that you're in per se in World War II in the United States. So in order for the arm military me- mechanisms to keep functioning, this political objective needs to be achieved. Uh, but there is not like a political officer who is with this party that is like telling them the importance of the mission that they're going on and threatening to shoot them or kill their families if they don't do it. Right. Like it's like they all have to make peace with the fact that they've been asked. They've been ordered to do this thing. 
and they signed up to be in the military, so they have to go do it. And so the reason that they have to do it is divorced from their experience of it. But there is a reason. It's not like there's no reason. Uh, their, their reason is just, to them, not particularly meaningful, and, and the microcosm-macrocosm problem emerges, right? And then the other question is, like, well, why do you follow Tom Hanks? And what's the purpose? What's the reason that this random guy has been put in charge of the life and death of all these people, right? And, I mean, part of that speaks to uh, the, you know, one of the many, one of the most published, and, you know, perhaps you can find controversy with this, you can find controversy with anything. One of the most published statistics about World War II versus Vietnam, for example, right, is that in World War II, the average age of an American soldier was 26. Uh, in Vietnam, the average age of an American soldier was 19. And the idea that this whole apparatus, this whole thing, really does rely on on. Uh, I mean, in this case, it's a it's a commissioned officer, right? But it, in a lot of more movies like this, it would be a non commissioned officer. Like in this case, the sergeant has a pretty big role to play. But but uh, the older men mentoring the younger men and kind of like keeping them in line. Now, of course, in a more modern movie, you would have women as well and other sorts of genders, and and it doesn't necessarily have to be a machismo thing. But in this situation. You know, the the army is relying very heavily on the social organization of the people in order to kind of mirror it mirrors that in the organization of the army plugging the gaps in its in its ability to, to control people and order them to do things. Right. It's like we know that a bunch of boys aren't going to just do what you tell them to do. Right. Uh, but, you know, not without horrible consequences. But, you know, if you have somebody who's older, who has a little more life experience and who has a little bit more social skills and kind of leadership skills, who can kind of explain things to them and, and kind of convince them that he's doing things in their interest and guide them, right, and serve as this sort of father figure to them, then they might follow that. Uh, and that's why Tom Hanks needs to be there, is to be the he's – a, he's a teacher. And I think the fact that he's a teacher is really important. He's a loco parentis over these people. Uh, and, of course, all of his kids, except for one, gets killed, right? Uh, which is the other kind of mirror, right, is that, like, Private Ryan is his last son also. Although I think, does the translator guy survive the movie? Um, yeah, I'm trying he, to remember. he does. He yeah. does, yeah. He does, he does. So, but, it, but I think, in general, we're supposed to believe that the team that he starts out the mission with more or less gets wiped, right? And it's like, and, and he doesn't end up with a lot of kids that are left, but he has taken on this mantle to be this leader for them, Right. Um, so, you know, that was kind of arbitrary. Is it, what's the reason? Well, you know, otherwise you can't do the war in the first place, which I guess is not really much of a reason. And maybe I need to punt it to Mark to answer that big question. Uh, but it's like in each sort of step of the way, there are these kind of macro reasons for why things are the way they are that don't seem relevant to the people that are on the ground. And, and, and you don't end up not having a particularly meaningful choice with regards to the forces that are compelling you to face these kinds of situations. And you rebel against that, right? And you want to have a meaningful choice. You want to say that I don't want to go on the mission and I'm going, I'm leaving, right? And, and then you realize that maybe that isn't really an option, uh, right? Is that because either, either you're going to destroy the unit because you guys are going to start shooting each other, right? Or uh, you have, they have to figure out a way to work it out, right? Uh, they can't just, like, let you do what you want. Uh, otherwise, there's a full breakdown, and then that's worse. Um, although that also brings in – maybe that's the big – that's because we get a rationalization, and we get it identified as a rationalization by Tom Hanks, his character, right? When he talks about the reason that he does – the re he tells the, the guys – and this is another interesting uh, situation where the movie is kind of bait and switching on us and leading you and putting you in the position of somebody who has limited information. Tom Hanks tells the boys, right, that the reason that he follows orders is because 
uh, every time he follows orders, it gets him one step closer to going home. Uh, you know, that the music is very touching. The way he delivers it is very convincing. He has that social role where everybody trusts him. That's why he's the captain of this ranger company. Uh, but that's not he's not telling the truth. <laughs> a, because we know that's a lie, right? That going to get Private Ryan is not going to make it more likely that he goes home. And in fact, it's going to get him killed. Uh, but also because he tells the boys that he doesn't tell them the truth. He doesn't complain to them. He complains to the other officers. And we have the scene where Tom Hanks complains to the other officer and talks about how he makes decisions because he believes or he has rationalized that each decision that he makes saves more people than it kills. And and so uh, he's talking he rebelled to, yeah. to his senior NCO. He's talking to the sergeant yeah. at the time. Right. And so he said he tells the boys that he likes he wants to complain up the ladder to the officers who give him orders. But he doesn't have that opportunity because the police, the phone got shot and he's got any lines. But when he's talking to his NCO, that's what he says. Right. It's like we have to we believe we were told this. And he doesn't say it with a lot of confidence. Right. He doesn't necessarily know. Uh, he just he he uses that as the rationalization for why he does the things that he does, that he believe you know, he's been led to believe he's been told to believe that every time he makes one of these decisions, it uh, it saves more lives than it's than it than it finishes, and if that's the reason that he keeps going, right? Uh, because he believes somehow that like the mathematics is there, and I mean, you, I think you can make the case that that's certainly true. I mean, there's a problem there of human perception where we cannot see the outcomes that don't happen, and as such, we can never really fully understand the consequences of our actions. We only see the things that happen. We, you know, so. You can you can talk about, you know, past experience and how in this situation, you know, somebody did something different. It was really bad and a whole bunch of people got killed. But you'll never really know what would have happened if you didn't do what you did. Uh, and and I think that the movie is brave to ask that question, because a lot of war movies don't ask that question. Right. That, that question of like, uh, I mean, I guess they, they a lot of them do ask it, but they ask it in a romantic way that makes it seem like it's a solved question. Right. It's like, well. You know, in much the same way that we know that the gliders are going to take care of that bridge. And then, you know, John Wayne is going to take care of that German embankment. Right. And then the, and then Sean Connery is going to take care of those Germans. Right. Like we have faith that we know that it's all going to work out. Uh, what, what we're not acknowledging is the leap of faith that you have to make to believe in kind of large scale evidence, evidence based strategy. Wait, right? both, both, wait, both John Wayne and Sean Connery are in the longest day. Yes, I, I offered the longest day. Oh my as an gosh, I, I did I not get that right memo. Now. A little bit of the back end drama for all this is that I offered to the group that we could watch the longest day to commemorate D Day, and, and and instead of Saving Private Ryan, I didn't even think of watching Saving Private Ryan because the longest day is a much less fully developed kind of gritty realist movie, but was made with more with younger actual D-Day veterans who had a fresher memory of what happened. And so it has a it's like a much, much clunkier and old timey Hollywood version. But everybody oh, is in that movie. It's nuts. <laughs> Telly Savalas is in that movie. Right? Like it's and it's but this movie is like that, too. It's like, oh, look, it's it's uh, Walter White. Oh, look, it's Dom Toretto. Oh, look, it's Phoebe's brother. Right. Like and Phoebe's brother is bleeding out of his stomach. Oh, that was oh. so horrible. Um, anyway, okay, I'll punch so, it to you, Mark. What do you think? Yeah, okay, yeah, 
um, you're, what, the, what, what is the meaning of all this? Is that kind of the well, big break positive question? Oh, let me here? narrow it down, because when we were talking about this movie, and yes, The Longest Day has a lot of uh, hilarious old-timey Hollywood stars in it and is, is sometimes very theatrical and sometimes tries to be painstakingly realistic with, like, realistic depictions of, of uh, battles around Normandy. But... Here's the question, right, is that we I've gone through a couple different microcosm, macrocosm questions. Matt raised the existential question. How do you go on? Right. I'm, I'm going moment to moment. Here's how you went on in this moment. Here's how you went on in this moment. The bigger question hanging over all of this is the question of the war. Uh, right. And wow. and that that and, and I think this relate this movie's relationship with, quote unquote, the question of the war, which in some ways is always one question and in some ways kind of an infinite number of questions. But that's what I want to hand to you, Mark, because that seemed to be the level on which you were connecting with this movie. Um, I mean, let's, I'll, I'll take a stab at it here, right? And we've—I think we've been circling around it. Right? You're talking about wh- why we go on, like why Tom Hanks decides to follow the orders. He's really talking about, um, at least from his perspective, as uh, upholding like the entire superstructure of society, right? And this, to me, this ties back to, in particular, the scene um, where the mother, I guess Mrs. Ryan, is uh, given the horrible news that three of her children are dead. Right? You have this scene of domesticity. Um, she's washing the dishes. And I think that's not the first time that Steven Spielberg has um, shown a woman washing dishes to really drive home this like home life perspective is like, you know, this is pure and good and this needs to be preserved. Um, uh, it's something but, that had happened with with light that's coming right over the horizon and like softly lighting her face while she does it. Right? Also that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think Matt was asking, like, you know, does this movie show the greatest generation and sepia tones and things like that in that scene? Hell yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, and I think overall, Overall, it does. It's kind of like, you know, at the at the you know surface level, what this movie is some 20 years old or so, right? Um, I think most people think about the heroism, about the great sacrifice that helped win the war, this, that, and the other. And a lot of these more troubling considerations that, I, for lack of a better word, the subversive aspects of this movie are lost, um, and, and even, even like myself, you know, like I, 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 I'd forgotten quite a bit of that and, and, and maybe even didn't appreciate it the first time around. Um, so there's a paradox, uh, at this year, I think we're actually frankly unable to fully resolve it, which is that, um, you know, all these little things don't make sense. And yet the whole thing here, um, has to make sense. So I think I, I'm punting too, Pete. I don't have any. I'll respond to you. I'll respond to you. Um, because I, th- I mean, I think this is an example of when we have to make a certain sort of interpretive leap that Matt and I have talked about from different connections, different directions a couple of times. Uh, every time you see a movie, you see it with you, right? So like you came to see the movie and you're sitting there with yourself mm-hmm. and you can't get, a, you're not going to be able to get away while watching this movie from your relationship with the events that it depicts whatever that is, right? Like if that's whatever your relationship is with Normandy, it's going to affect how you feel about this movie. And there's nothing that the intent of the author can do to change that. And mm-hmm. the idea that a movie will will over overwhelm and, and dictate your behavior, right? And, and in fact, whether a movie will overwhelm and dictate the behavior of all people in a way that is in line with the person who directed it uh, ignores the, the fact that when people go to see movies, they bring them their own perspectives and their and their own expectations. And to an extent, when you see a movie really, really drive people, it might often be because it's telling them something that they already believe. It's not telling them something that's new. Uh, you know, it's something that they that in some level they kind of have already come to terms with or already are 
thinking about. So so you could say, I mean, here's because this is the sort of irresolvable conflict, I think, here. Uh, there's a couple of different ones. One of them is the sort of macro level of the war and the micro level of the person in the war, right, which is the sort of Aristotle problem, too, in the sense of like, well, why tell stories about people who don't get to dictate historical events? Because then the things that they do don't matter, right? Well, you know, we like to think that we're more democratic than that, and we don't want to tell stories just about kings because everybody matters. Well, you know what? Turns out coming up with the fantasy that every not only does everybody matter, but everybody gets to dictate on an individual basis whether World War II happens or not is is not credible, <laughs> right? Like, uh, and and the idea that it's like, well, if we just didn't go, right? What if we just didn't go? Uh, I mean, there's other movies that do that, right? Uh, for sure, Swing Kids or whatever. Uh, that's probably not a good example. <laughs> that's a very bad example. But uh, but what I would say is that, like, on one hand, you know, you've got the content of the movie that is at odds with the tone of the movie, and that's sort of adding texture to it. And that the sentiment that there's a lot of different kinds of entertainments in which the sentimentality, the sentimental core of the movie is at odds with the more complex content and symbolism of the movie. And the, from the perspective, you know, if you were actually looking at the movie and what the movie is trying to say or what's in the movie and you take it as a whole in sort of close reading, you come to a rather sophisticated idea. But you want to watch it from the perspective of somebody who does not register any of the details. Right. It's sort of like, do you only care about the broad strokes? Do you only care about what what is lit a particular way or what music has done a particular way? Right. Like and you want yeah, to take for granted that most people won't pay attention. And World War II is the broadest of broad strokes, right? That's what makes this, this so difficult to unravel. Um, right. and, and, but this, and was the attempt, pers- this was the attempt to, to, to beat that, right? To like it narrow was. it down, right? Like this and a couple of other movies. To, Sorry, go ahead. To a certain ahead. extent, though, like Steven Spielberg is the worst person <laughs> to, <laughs> to do that. And I, I was actually wrestling with thinking about this while I was watching the movie because like in – you know, it's at, at some points I like I wanted to kind of sign on to the sentimentality, and I wanted to like cry over the loss of the of these people who you know you came to care about, and I, I wanted to like. But then, like I heard the music, I heard the John Williams score, and it was just like ah, I feel like I you know um my my emotions are being messed with, and I thought I thought like well yeah, your emotions are being messed with with, with Steven Spielberg, you can't like have the you know the the master of childlike wonder you know uh and and then also a a kind of like you know existentially nauseating uh you know uh unsentimental reportage type of movie where like no one actually no one actually matters in the end because the thing about childlike wonder is it you know it uh it ascribes uh epic scale a great you know universe universe destroying stakes to like the the hallway at night you know it's um and and that's like i feel like that's just where that's just where he lives you know in in these incredible uh these these incredible kind of childlike um uh worlds and that that's that's sentimental. That's ipso facto sentimental. And so I kind of thought like, okay, like this, this is, this is kind of what it, what it has to be, you know? And, and well, I, I have more thoughts, but I'll leave it there. Yeah. I mean, like state the obvious, right. You know, the framing device, you know, private Ryan, he himself, you know, he's there with his family, right. Um, you know, the, the source of childlike wonder, right. The, the, the strong bond between a parent and uh, his or her child, uh, sorry, a, a, a child and his or her parents. Um, it's all there for you. Right. And, um, 
that was uh, you, know, you, you see it all displayed for you. And he asks, you know, did I, the, the question is, did he earn this? It's like, you know, was this all worth it? And it's a foregone conclusion. Of course, it was worth it. Right. Because he had children. Because um, those children have had the opportunity to experience Spielbergian wonder, they got to go see ET. Hell got, yeah, it was yeah. Worth it. right, exactly. Well, I mean, I think I think another. I, the more I talk about this movie, the more I see it, and I don't remember this being a popular interpretation at the time. But the more I see it, really, as part of a pair with Schindler's List, because when you're saying that, Matt, it's like you know you can't have. This, the the master of childhood wonder, right, and, and these kinds of nauseating stakes. Uh, it's interesting to say uh, who is the child, and if you think of a relationship between a child and a parent as a relationship where the parent provides for the needs of the child, and the parent is kind of the manifestation of the needs of the child, and then uh, you think of the different sort of child-parent relationships. You know, Ch- Private Ryan, Ryan is the child who has become the parent, and Tom Hanks is also kind of the child who becomes the parent. But all of the loss, all of it being worth it, is part of how the child can never really comprehend that their own life was worth everything that their parents went through. And that's sort of an honest kind of contradiction and part of growing up. Uh, and also, you know, feeling loved, right? You can think, yeah, it was worth it. But at the same time, you have to appreciate on some level that other people sacrificed for you. And that's a hard thing for a child to come to terms with and kind of, you may even say, a necessary you have to be you, have, you if you can understand that, then you're not a child anymore in a full sense. If you can really understand that other people had to make sacrifices in and what that was like in order for you to have what you have in your life, then you're on your way to growing up. Now, you might know that as a fact, but do you really understand it? Right. And then to think about it in Schindler's List. Uh, there's two examples that jump to mind, right? Who's the private Ryan in Schindler's List? The little girl with the red coat who ends up in a in a wheelbarrow carted off to the crematorium, right? Like that that's the child. That's Elliot from E.T., right? That's that's the uh that's the kid with the BFG right there in Schindler's List. And 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 Spielberg is unflinching in his his accusation, his 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 condemnation of the whole world for letting that child die. Right? Like that that is a, a gross gross failure of the of the most profound degree of of the common cause of humanity to be a parent for the future of humanity that that kid got killed in that way and desecrated in that way and 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 that and and the thing is that spielberg wields every ounce of sentimentality like a hammer in that moment with the red coat in the black and white movie like to make an entire black and white movie just so you can have that one shot with that red coat right um, and that and that that's that's the I'm, I'm disagreeing with myself here. Right. Because I'm saying, well, you know, the the complexity of the movie is at odds with the sentimentality. And you should you, if you're smart, you ignore the sentimentality. But if you know, a lot of people aren't smart and they only follow the sentimentality. No, like it's also possible to make a movie in which the sentimentality like also is willing to articulate the problem that you're dealing with. But then the counter to that is Liam Neeson. Right. With like, could I have sold my ring? Could I have sold my car? You know, and so so when I think Tom Hanks is saying, was it worth it? Make it worth it to him. You know, what is it worth? I'm thinking, is it worth Liam Neeson's ring? Is it worth Liam Neeson's car? Right. Like, which is weird because it doesn't really work in terms of stakes, but it all seems to fit together in terms of symbols. Uh, right. And and part of the question there is that it's absurd. Right. Because you could always get another ring. Right. Like it's not a question isn't like live on and get a ring. 
that's worth the ring that Liam Neeson sold to save you. Right. <laughs> it's it's like it's like you can't really symmetrically ma- make up for the sacrifices of these people. You could go on and have a whole bunch of cars and your car that you have in your life, in your future, isn't worth Oscar Schindler's car in much the same way that whatever child you have isn't a replacement for Vin Diesel trying to save the girl who looks like his niece and getting killed. Right. Like 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 he's trying. There's this like a- there's this irresolvable asymmetry. And yet we, we can do nothing but. But try to confront that uh, as we sort of pass this down from parent to child, parent to child. I mean, I guess what is it like? It just see it also to a degree. It seems like a very cruel thing to tell him, to tell him to, to earn it, right? I mean, what he's really telling him is be a good man. That's what he's telling him, and he's telling him that because he's a teacher, and and it's a it's a threat. <laughs> right it's basically like i will haunt you it's a, yeah it's an imposition of guilt yeah that you yeah. will never ever get over and so this is kind of the difference part between saving private ryan and uh, and schindler's list Sh- oscar schindler was a was a entirely voluntary in what he did right oscar schindler saved people because he wanted to save people right the soldiers in saving private ryan were doing their duty and maybe they wanted to save people when they were being good right and maybe as human beings being thrust in that kind of situation, we're not necessarily going to be Oscar Schindler. And Oscar Schindler probably also wasn't Oscar Schindler. Right. Uh, and so I'm sure he had all sorts of nonsense. Well, I mean, he was also running a manufacturing plant for the Nazis. So so in that sense, Spielberg kind of papers all that over. Uh, but, yeah. Right. It's like you, you can never really you can never really make it worth it. You can never really earn it. And, and but the charge that uh, that. That from one person who's the microcosm that can't be resolved with the macrocosm to another person who's a microcosm that can't be resolved with the macrocosm. I think what he's what he seems to be saying is, I'm going to have faith that you're going to be a good person and that it will have been worth it for me to have done it. Uh, but, but but the thing that's being missed is that there's no possible way that Matt Damon is ever going to be able to comprehend whether it was worth it or not. And I think that, that I like it because... It goes back and connects empirically with something with which we already know, which is the crushing guilt, right? And the, and the horror that's being felt by the men, men and women who were in the proximity of these kinds of losses, right? Like 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 a story about D Day in which the person leaves it feeling great <laughs> is uh, well, you can see the longest day if you want to see that. But uh, and it was a movie made by D Day survivors uh, in order to cope. <laughs> with what they were dealing with um but but one in which ends with a a otherwise good person you know just crushing some poor child with a bunch of guilt that he'll carry till the end of his days uh i mean it's it matches reality right um i don't know man i don't know he's a stand-in he's a stand-in for all of us right and yeah and to a certain extent there's a generational message of like you know earn it succeeding generations right like don't mm. you know really really guys careful who you elect president in the united states right the, 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 um, that 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 compounding interest that you've been earning like do something useful with that um you know something other than i don't know improv classes yeah and the, the, hey 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey if, if liam neeson had taken more improv classes in schindler's list he would have come up with all sorts of ideas for things to sell to save people oh, <laughs> oh man i could oh, sell ducks on the street 
Like, uh, <laughs> really, improv. If you the movie we're talking and then, about, and now then you is, come back. Uh, then you come back for the second beat, and he's like, "What if I were the president making all of these? <laughs> what if this was happening in the White House, and then there wouldn't be a war at all?" And that's you know, that's yeah, how yeah. Schindler's List ends. But but like, yeah, it's a it's a charge being sort of being being sort of laid. Uh, on all of us, and yeah. and I guess I I guess just just sort of in closing, I I want to in in you know d- slightly slightly jerkish fashion um, say that 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 Pete didn't quite address my question. What's you talked question? about why you go on, but mm. not not how you go on, and I think uh-huh. that's a res- related but distinct. Um, I think that's a related but distinct question, right? Like, and so we've talked about a couple a, a couple ways. One is rationalization. Two is um, uh, having a reason. Or I guess that's, I mean, that's uh, rationalization when it's a defense mechanism. But you can go on by having a reason. Like, why do you follow orders? You have a reason to follow orders. You know, why do you follow orders? It never occurs to you not to follow orders. Why do you follow orders? I'm scared of not following orders. That would be another way to go. You know what I mean? Another kind of how uh of going on but i think that like a lot of the how um in in this film and this connects a couple of threads that we've been talking about the kind of the sentimentality the sort of the fragility of the the military chain of command in these these situations um and the the bait and switch that the um uh that the framing device pulls on us uh is is how do you go on you you sort of tell and and actually the kind of the, the movie writ large you tell yourself a story about what it meant right <laughs> like wh- wh- to, wh- however it comports with reality you know with the the subjective or objective details that you know could be leveled against your story however it kind of twists things however it kind of privileges your perspective uh over the rest of them, like the you know, over the the rest of the perspectives that that could be there, you t- you 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 tell yourself a story about what happened, and that's why um, that's why uh, it actually that's that's why this framing device, I think, actually really does something interesting and and in keeping with with what I took to be one of the themes of the movie is that like yeah it's false maybe it's reconstructed from what he found out about these people but you know uh, to a certain extent all the all the kind of the uh, sentimental details couldn't be reconstructed all the stuff about you know the stuff in the church at night and all of that stuff couldn't be re- reconstructed the 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 um it, it, but it's a it's a story that he tells himself to kind of make to 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 make it possible, you know, for him to for him to continue. And there, there's something sort of desperate in that plea to his wife to kind of ratify his story. You know, like tell me tell me I'm a good tell me I'm a good person. Like my story is true, right, right. Yeah. And that's you know um, to me uh, uh, you know I don't know to and and to, to a certain extent like God it was worth it right you know you, you you have to think about that about a lot of things large and small in your own life and a lot of a lot of geopolitical things because the alternative is not great. 
know, uh, not to, not to, um, not to glorify suffering or not to, you know, but, but to sort of come, but to come to terms with the fact that you kind of can't, you, you come to terms as an adult with the idea that, that, that you can't repay your debts. Um, you also can't live completely burdened, uh, by your debts. So, so what do you do? You, yeah. What you do is that you remember all this with the lush, somber tones of John Williams uh, underscoring it all rather than like, I don't know, yakety sax, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, I was going to say, like, you played music, right? Like uh, Nietzsche would have said, without what? Without music, life would be a mistake, is the Nietzsche quote. Yeah, something like <laughs> right? that. It's right. Like, huh. Without huh. John Williams, Spielberg would be a mistake. Uh, but um, well, uh, not really. Wow. Well, uh, well. <laughs> who, who did score this movie? Was it John Williams who scored yeah. Saving Private Run? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, no, no, I love. I think it's great, and, and Spielberg would himself say, I think, that he prioritizes sound and music. But the movie also shows, like, when the movie's depiction of religion is really interesting in this respect too, right? Because religion in this movie is a way that people anchor themselves in their values, and 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 also, and when I say anchor themselves, I mean um, empower themselves despite. Their, whatever their biology is telling them about the danger and horror of their situation to do the thing that they believe in line with their own identity is the thing that they should do, right? It's like you have a self and then you have a kind of an animal self, right? The sort of ego is saying that you want to do this. Your values are saying you want to do this, but you're a human being and you can't stop the fact that you're absolutely terrified, right? So you use the symbolism of religion as an anchor to remind you uh, and to focus you, you know, the sniper, right, who repeats the the sort of biblical verses to himself while he kills people is about more than just kind of a weird, creepy take on religion. It's also about the effect that this guy's faith gives him the ability to focus in extreme situations. I mean, we see, I mean, the, well, that beautiful moment where Vin Diesel hands the rosary to the little French girl who reminds him of his niece well, as he, like, gives his life for her in a quixotic and bizarre exchange. Right? Like, it does highlight that there are good intentions in a lot of what's happening. I think that, uh, you know, it's it's not symmetrical, right? But it's like, one of the things that Saving Private Ryan does is it shows people committing war crimes, but it also shows people being really nice and and doing and and make, taking action in war for the right reasons. And movies tend to do all one or all of the other, right? Like they, the war movies either tend to do well; they tend to be either the bad is so bad that that none of the good is worth it, or the bad is so like paved over that nobody notices it and it's excused, or we we cut off both ends of the intense spectrum and everybody just sort of lives in the firefight and there are no soft targets at all, right? Uh, but it's like, this is a movie where we see soldiers really go out of their way to try to save people who are in trouble and get killed for it and give their lives uh, in really this per- the belief in something really beautiful and admirable and empowered by their religion and their f- belief in family to do that. Yeah, well, it's, uh, like, you know, you know I, I sort of wanted to say, like, the, the, the reason that, that you know, Vin Diesel saves this little girl that reminds him of his niece over the objection of all of his friends is because Vin Diesel doesn't have friends. He has family. 
<laughs> All right. This has been the Overthinking It podcast on Saving Private Ryan. Thank you very much for listening. And thank you very much to Pete and Mark for uh, taking this track across Europe with me. Uh, if you'd like to comment, please go to the show notes on Overthinking It. You'll find a place where you can uh, comment there and join the discussion about this movie if you happen to have rewatched it recently. Uh, or if you want to talk about your uh, you want to talk about your memories of it. That's, uh, that's strangely appropriate for this particular film. We'll be back next week with more Overthinking It. Uh, no promises as to whether, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's six to five and pick them now. Whether we're going to do uh, a, um, a classic film uh, that we want to revisit or if we're going to do the blockbuster of the week so we're unpredictable like that so uh you'll have to tune in next week when there's more overthinking it podcast and until then you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it it probably probably doesn't Hey, thanks, Greatest Generation, for allowing us to record that podcast. We've, your sacrifice, that was worth it. Was that, I, was that you being sarcastic, Mark, that, about your existence? <laughs> Is that what you, were you being sarcastic <laughs> about the fact that you exist? All right, guys, we're going to make up a whole war from a single suggestion. So what I need is a geographical location, like the beaches of Normandy. Anyone? How about Iraq? <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Too soon? Is that is that what this is? Too soon?